Radio Newark, the home of Radio Newark Sport. Weeknights from 7. Radio Newark Sport. Brought to you with Smith's Timber Merchants. For all your fencing, decking and DIY needs on Appleton Gate, Newark. Visit smithstimber.co.uk. Tonight, the Rugby World Cup's already underway in Japan. So it's time for Rob Wardman's one-man guide to the greatest sporting event of the year. And being as we've got Rob here, he's also going to give his views on the future of grassroots rugby. Dave Duddles told us his thoughts a couple of weeks ago, so uh, I'm looking forward to that. Dave Farger joins us with NotFast's Equinox Lowdown, but before all that, it's time for this. And cyclocross ace Zoe Codd raced in the National Trophy on Saturday, held it on the cambered banks of the Moorway Stadium in Derby. How can the cambered banks of that be cyclocross, anyway? She finished ninth in the veteran 40-49 to 49 category. I'll say it, Zoe, you look a lot younger. Next race is in Cumbria in a fortnight's time, where she expects conditions to be a little bit more like cyclocross should be. I mentioned it last night, but a big well done to Newark Athletic Club's president, Gary Gareth Bagley, competing in the Equinox 24 hours at the weekend. Meeting and beating his pre-race target of 100k, which it took him 21 hours and 38 minutes, not 2 hours and 38 minutes, as the Twins had him down for last night. Tony, you're looking absolutely gobsmacked at that. I'll, t- I'll talk to you in a minute. Our new KC correspondents, Tilly and Lauren, both represented Lincolnshire at the English Schools Finals, while big sister Amber Owens finished 10th at the Bulldog Stampede in Wingate, North Carolina. It's the start of the Canicross season, and Ella Hancock managed to move up into the adult section this time. She started the comp- a campaign with a bronze medal. And five Newark Tri Club members took part in the Thorsby Park Outlaw for the very first time. One of them, he's done it before, though I know that. Tom Marshall, Dave Tilly, Dylan Thomas, Jason Cobb and Dan Marshall all braved the wind and the rain, with Tom finishing first in his age group and 16th overall. And the Newark Lawn Tennis Club ladies' second team welcomed league leader Sutton Bonington to the home courts at the weekend and thrashed them 11-1. The ladies now have two matches left to play in the season... And where do they sit? Right on the top of the table. That's the time to reach the summit. Two games left. Come on, Newark. Always like to have a quick chat with Tony about one or two of the sporting events of the day. Um... I, I've just been watching television. It used to be called a circus. It's now called the Houses of Parliament. And Michael Gove has said that Boris Johnson is the Pep Guardiola of politics. Can you answer that one without being biased in any way, shape or form? Easily. <clears throat> because uh, when it comes to politics, I'm not in the slightest bit biased because they're all as rubbish as one another. <clears throat> but, I mean, what time does Michael Gove start drinking on a day? I mean, Pep Guardiola is up there with the greatest football managers 
in this world. Yeah, he's in the top three, isn't he? Apparently, there's a real problem mm. in circuses at the moment mm. because they can't get enough clowns because they're all going straight into politics. So, am I assuming then that if Manchester City did something seriously wrong and the highest football court out there found them guilty, they could just carry on as if nothing happened? Because that's exactly what he's saying. Well, Don't do politics and sport, but that annoyed me. No, I, th- I think the British justice system states that if the court decides you're in the wrong, then you can't just say, well, actually, that's rubbish, and just carry on doing what Boris Johnson is doing. It, it's, it's a novel way forward. But for him to be described as the Pep Guardiola of politics, I think he's more likely, as Derby County and Forest fans will appreciate, the Billy Davis of politics. Yeah, we'll have him as that. You looked absolutely astounded at Gareth Bagley, finished 100, yeah. 100k in... in 21 hours. I mean, you know, with the greatest respect to Gareth, who's ran all his life, Gareth is in his late 60s. Yes, that's, yeah. That's a hell of a So by now, achievement. by now, you really ought to think that he would know better. He should be sitting here with us. I mean, every night I used to go out and run 5k, which is three miles, and I used to love it. But at the end of the 5k, when I'd put in a sprint finish, I'd had enough. I ra- twice ran the London Marathon, and that nearly killed me. I didn't know the Broadway was three miles from your house. But to actually run 100k in 24 hours, that's just... How can that be enjoyable? Very quickly, um, Tottenham's latest abysmal performance. Is he just waiting for Solskjaer to get the sack? So he can go there? I think it might happen. Even Tottenham's second string has got to be better than Colchester. I think it might happen tomorrow morning if Rochdale win tonight. (laughs) <laughs> that is a massive, massive football fixture. That could be the biggest football fixture of the season. Manchester United against Rochdale in the Carabao Cup. If Rochdale come through and do a Colchester in that one, all he'll be gone in the morning. And I'm not one to say I told you so, but... But, I mean, if you look at the great managers, they take the, the Carabao Cup seriously because it's a competition that, you know, you can win, that you've entered. If you don't want to take it seriously, don't go in for it. I was listening to a bit of Manchester City last night and Raheem Sterling scored the first goal, Jesus scored the second goal. I mean, these are world-class players playing at Preston last night. I don't know what Tottenham's team was, but I'm assuming it wasn't the first team. Man City make the effort. Well, I mean, you look at another of tonight's fixtures, Liverpool will hammer MK Dons because Jurgen Klopp is a good manager. You know, it, it takes it serious like, uh, like like the Arsenal lad did last night. You know, results like that uh, are results that, that should be achieved against against the poorer clubs of, of the country. Oh, 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 dear, oh, dear. When, is it, when was Leeds playing this week, innit? Uh, Leeds lost. Oh, they're out of it. Right, who beat them then? North Ferriby? No, I think it was... Uh, I forget now. OK, that's the lead supporter who can't even remember who beat his team in the first round of There's the Cup. So many of us beat... Yes. So many teams beat us. Yes, you know, that, right. It's the rugby... Wo- OK, you've had your time. That's why we're top of the championship. Yes. And you still can't even make the second round of the Carabao Cup. Um, you were top of the championship last year, by the way, until, until you blew it. Oh, there's a guy called Ben Porter thinks that Forrest are going to win it this, year, this season. He must be on some medication we don't know about. 
You said Leeds was going to win it last season. Right, rugby, because that's what we're going to talk about tonight, because Mr Rugby is in the studio. We've actually got him off the phone and into the studio. It is the Rugby World Cup. It's the other side of the world for the first time ever, I think, in Japan. 20 of the best rugby nations in the world are over there fighting it out. Rob's going to tell us all about it. Um, I didn't even know that Uruguay played rugby, but they managed to beat Fiji today. Rob, good evening. Evening, folks. Evening, Mick. Evening, Tony. Um... Uruguay, I didn't even know they played rugby. Well, um... You're not thinking of Scotland, are you? (laughs) Would you believe that I've actually seen England play in Uruguay in Montevideo? I can't can't say the capital city. But uh, I was very lucky about ten years ago to go on a trip with England and we played... I'll say we. England played uh, in Buenos Aires and then they went down to Montevideo. I was neutral. I was very, very neutral. And I slipped on the slip of the tongue because I'm now wearing my England hat. So I'm no longer working in the national press. And, and I can say things quite openly. What What was the film? Montevideo, the warship, the German warship. Was it Sink the Bismarck? Something like that, That yes. was in Montevideo, wasn't it? Didn't it go straight to Monte or was it straight to Video? You be quiet. Right. Um, anyway, I won't say the capital city again, no. <laughs> I can't, can't pronounce that word. Somewhere in Uruguay. Who <laughs> beat Fiji? But no, they, they hate... Uruguay, Uruguay and rugby, uh, they've played second fiddle, obviously, t- to the Argentina. There's a, there's a big um, crossover of players between the two countries. But they're absolute sports-mad little country. Football, football, football. And occasionally they play rugby. And if you listen to the coach today, because today they they beat Fiji, which is, their, which is their best win in the World Cup so far. And, and the coach said, he was asked, how long have you been planning this victory? And he said, since the day we qualified. And uh, if you'd looked at the results, I was among the, the rugby nutters to get out of our beds at, what, 6am on Saturday morning to watch Fiji play Australia. We thought Fiji had a chance, with all their French professionals, we, had, we thought they had a chance of downing the Wallabies on Saturday. And they, for 40 minutes they played fantastic rugby. And then in the second half, the Aussies uh, fought back and... Um, and beat Fiji, and yet today Fiji fielded basically their sort of second string plus five other regulars, ran out of steam and played the wrong tactics against Uruguay. Uh, Fiji wanted to throw the ball everywhere when, for once, Fiji had the scrum to absolutely pulverise their opposition, and Fiji lost 30 points to 27. So there you go, Uruguay. It's, it's interesting because but, just finish, this is one for you, form people. Last November, Fiji and Uruguay played a, a sort of an international friendly in at Gloucester, and the Fijians won about sixty points to five. So a year later, the Uruguayans come along and 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 snot the Fijians in uh, in Japan. It's marvelous stuff. Two things I've picked up from from that is that one, if Uruguay play rugby in the same style as a play football they'll be very good at it and um, two is this another case then of taking clubs for granted like we're talking on football with Colchester oh yes I think Fiji and and Tottenham also well yes there's something people also point out that Fiji for for Fiji today was their their second day second game in um, in four days whereas the Uruguayans it was their first game and obviously they, as the coach said um, they've known the programme they've known the schedule of these games for at least two years so they've been plotting this game to beat Fiji they're in a very tough group you can't see Uruguay winning another game in the group You've, they might have a chance against Georgia but very very un- you would think the Georgians are too strong having seen Fiji lose Georgia got a very big scrum you would think they will um, 
wallop Uruguay and you certainly can't see Uruguay getting near Australia or Wales so today it was the Uruguayans World Cup final and and they did it <laughs> Scotland's obviously not in that group then um, well we'll come on to Scotland later oh no do we have to um, <laughs> is it um, because it's taking take it away a little bit uh, the 20 teams is how long is the competition Rob because uh, the rugby competition well, is stretching from the start end of the cricket season to uh, bonfire yeah. well, night they don't so. like they don't <laughs> like <laughs> It's almost on six weeks. Expecting rugby players to play twice in a week, isn't it? Well, again, you're getting the scheduling now. They've um, they've slightly tried to um, shorten it. I think they're trying to shorten it by a week this time. And all countries are playing two games in five days, and then they have a rest. But it's not balanced out. So you, you're going to get teams like today. Fiji play two games in four days, but you know, the Uruguayans are fresh. It's their first game because partly because it's four groups of five. You see, so it's you can't you can't everyone can't play at once. There's always an odd team out of the group in, in scheduling. But we're getting into sort of scheduling logistics. So we're looking for the top two in in each group yes they qualify uh, in each group to progress so yes. let's, let, let's have a little bit um who we expect the quarter finalists to be because it, it really ought to be the big boys yes um i've got actually a quick report on the fiji game in front of of me and having experienced yourself with um the uruguayan capital i'm going to leave it to our professional to just give the report. <clears throat> Uruguay left Fiji on the brink of exiting the Rugby World Cup at the pool stage as they pulled off a memorable win in Kamaishi. In a frantic first half, Fiji were left stunned as Uruguay came from behind to lead through tries from Santiago Arata, Manuel Diana and Juan Manuel Cat. Api Rasinawa <laughs> That's got him. How did I keep a straight face through the other ones I made up? Ati Rakinawa produced the deficit for Fiji while Nicola Matawalu touched down to give them a losing bonus point. Fiji remained fourth in Pool D but languished behind Wales and Australia. That's a better job than I would have made, so I'll give you credit. The for place that. where they were playing was um, uh, unpronounceable. A, a city on, on the coast. <laughs> Uh, which was dis destroyed in the uh, tsunami, and this is why this is which is why they went back today uh, with all the dignitaries, and there was a various mem um, um, sort of th I think it was a fly past by the Japanese uh, in, in commemoration of a huge number of people who died. Did you see the pictures yesterday? The, the, the pictures were in the national press yesterday, sh sh showing a massive uh, tanker ship halfway down the high street. Right. Yes. Did, 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 during, during the mm. no, no. It, it, you know, city actually hit by this tra tragedy, and, no. and today was sort of the end of their rebuilding and and uh, sort of the, the re-entry in, into the sports mad world. That is Japan. I've never been there, uh, but it, it looks a fantastic tournament. What's going on? And you know, they're taking the games all around the country, and and as you say, make it lasts us about seven weeks. It ends on November the second. So we're going from uh, one season to another. I wonder how many people have done what I did and uh, cut out my wall chart from the Radio Times and uh, put it on the, my bedroom wall and, and filled in the first two results and, and, and I've still got to fill in the others. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you, you've got to schedule time in your diary, Tony, yeah. Wall chart. 2009. <laughs> Mick, you're talking about the quarterfinals. Yes, let's that, get... Uh, group A, then. Who is, who's going to go through? Well, Group A, we, we've got Japan, Russia, Ireland, Scotland... Plus Samoa, so um, so Ireland's a giveaway. 
Ireland having absolutely swatted Scotland, uh, you expect them to be group winners, and then the runners-up, it's between Scotland. If Scotland can hold their nerve and regroup after Sunday's battery, you probably back Scotland to get the better of Samoa, Russia, Japan, etc. So you probably back, but unfortunately for Scotland, if they qualify as runners-up, they will be playing the winners of Pool B, who will be the All Blacks. So you can't see <laughs> Scotland. You can't see Scotland getting beyond the quarterfinals. I'm sorry. I like to apologise to all my Scottish friends um, and friends. I've, I've been watching Scotland a long time. I don't think there's any dangerous playing New Zealand whatsoever. <laughs> I, think, I, think, well, I think the only country that got a day return on the bullet train. See, <laughs> As the tournament progresses, the games get harder and you get more and more of the big boys. The unusual thing about this tournament was obviously the first Saturday we had New Zealand and South Africa playing. Yeah. And that was all down to because South Africa have slipped down the world rankings following their defeat in the last World Cup when Japan staged the biggest ever shocking uh, Rugby World Cup history when Japan beat South Africa at Brighton. And obviously Japan at that stage were coached by the one and only Eddie Jones. So South Africa are paying for their poor form four years ago in the seedings for this World Cup, even though South Africa now have regrouped uh, under Razi Erasmus, their new the coach that brings some of the European players back in, so they're stronger, and, and the, the tournament's all, all the better for it. So, if you look at the draw, New Zealand, um, we're back in Ireland to win Pool A, uh, and New Zealand to win Pool B, New Zealand will get Scotland in the quarterfinals, so New Zealand right away you can say now will be in the semi it will be a major shock if New Zealand are in the semi-finals um, Who, who's your second from group A because there's no fence sitting here because I'm writing these down well I'm taking I'm taking Ireland I'm going to back Scotland to get to the quarterfinals well thank you right you and go. then go home yeah Let's just quickly do Group B before we go. Group B, New Zealand, almost certain winners, but we've said that before. Be very big surprise if they aren't the top. They've already beaten South Africa Saturday. You expect New Zealand and South Africa to be winners and runners up. New Zealand will play Scotland in the quarterfinals. South Africa will qualify as runners up Pool B, and their reward is to play the winners of. Hang on. <laughs> he brought his wall chart in with him. <laughs> Where are we going? Takes some looking around that we bring the wall as well. Winner of Pool A, so they will play could well play Ireland in the. So them two are playing. Mm. What? Who, who's the other three teams and who's who's the make weights in 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 B? Italy, Namibia, Canada. Yeah. Okay. Well, it's, I think that's fairly. Oh yes. Straightforward. You'd be a very obvious. big surprise if New Zealand and Africa aren't qualified from uh, Pool I think that, B. That's. A, that's mm. I mean, the only one at the minute that you've not straightforward is is scotland um c let, let's have a well, look that's good old england so we're backing england obviously to win their group thank you tony uh, <laughs> <laughs> i'm not um and i think england will be too strong for argentina and france in pool c they'll get to the quarterfinals who will be the second place team i would think france will squeeze home in Pool C. So England's reward for being the winners of Pool C will be they play the runners-up of Pool D, and that's where we come to our friends from Wales, Australia and Fiji and the Uruguayans who played today. So OK, well, let, let's let's come back to that one because we, we must um, talk to Dave. He should be waiting for us. So we're going to have a quick chapter with Dave Farger and then we're coming back So in to Pool C, we're going for England and France. Yes. And Pool D, we're going to go for... That's a, 
Think about that. Tell me in a few minutes. Okay. Australia, Wales. Wednesday night to 20 past seven, of course. It's um, Dave Farge with the Not Fast Report. We heard all about how the striders got on at Equinox, but uh, in great force, the other army was there. Um, I've got no doubt with copious amounts of wine and cake, but the man to tell us all about it, of course, is Not Fast Dave. Good evening, sir. Evening, Mick. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Have you recovered? Uh, I have, actually, yeah. And, and actually, I didn't see a single glass of wine there. Um, You're slipping. But in all honesty, I was only there for a short amount of time, so there probably was. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was. the weekend was pretty much dominated by the uh, Beaver Equinox race. Um, I'll go into that in a few seconds, but just to cover off park runs, uh, we had 35 club members over six different park runs this week. Uh, personal best for Amy Parks, Simon Keyworth, and Mark Hawkins. Now, moving on to the Equinox. Now, for those listening that don't know what the Beaver Equinox is, it's a 24-hour race held in the grounds of Beaver Castle. It's a mixed-terrain 10-kilometer loop against the club. So basically what you've got to do is run as many loops within 24 hours as possible. Um, there's a nightmare of a hill halfway around the course, um, and all the times of everyone's fastest lap and total time will be on the Facebook page. Now, also available was a standalone day and night 10K at Beaver, um, so we had a few members taking part. Now, in all, Not Fast members ran a total of 1,790 kilometers over the course of the 24 hours combined. We had 19 brave solo members. I'll cover off the distances only of what the solo members um, achieved within 24 hours. Zoe Smith did two laps, which is 20 kilometers. Nick Harrison, 40 kilometers. Peter Brown, he achieved 50 kilometers. Achieving 60 kilometers was Jill Good, Joanna Gray, Faye Hemingway, and Faye Patterson. Polishing off 70 kilometers was Peter Middleton. Chris Redhead managed 80 kilometers. We had quite a few members getting 100 kilometers. That's Amy Borrell, Richard Borrell, Angela Brown, Anna Fisher, Jim Lovett, Annette Taylor, and Jackie Walton. Now, moving on to the uh, three members that went above and beyond, we had Simon Locke doing 120 kilometers, Caroline Upton doing 130 kilometers, and uh, doing 150 kilometers, that's 15 laps within 24 hours was Andrew Rowlands. His fastest lap was 57 minutes 36. We also had a few, uh, a couple of uh, members running in a pair, Adrian Dixon, Breeze, Roland, they managed eight laps, eight kilometers. Adrian did six laps and Breeze did two. Now, going on to the standalone day and night 10K, uh, starting with the day 10K, Breeze, Rollins, Debbie Pickles, Kate Fisher, Kelly Dowling, Henrietta McCabe, and Laura Smith, who got course PB. And doing the night 10K was myself, Kathy Clark, Ernie Clark, Laura Smith, and Henrietta McCabe. Again, all the individual times will be on the Facebook page. Just moving away from the Beaver Equinox and other races around the country, um, Kim Edrington-Bates, she completed the Global Energy 10K in 50 minutes 21. Um, also in that race was a 5K um, race. We had three members, Mark Hawkins in 38.52, Leanne Lawson, who got a personal best in 38.55, and Sarah Ridley in 38.54. Janet Davis, she was in Derbyshire for the Wild Warrior 5K obstacle course with her daughter. 
she completed 17 obstacles in around 50 minutes, including a, a big six-foot fence panel, a couple of swims and a couple of dunks underwater. And anyone that knows Janet, a six-foot fence po- panel is quite an achievement. Um, further afield, Piotr Dura was in the um, Cromford for the Two Old Man Trail Half Marathon, and he completed that in two hours, 28 57. So make really, really good results. Um, lots of running. I think our September um, kilometre tracks off the charts this September. And obviously we've got the, um, the Robin Hood Half Marathon this weekend, I think it is. It is. There's, a lot more, there's still a lot more, more to come before September. So 150 kilometres for Andy Rowlands, that is. That's, that's a feet and a half, isn't it? It's outstanding. So I, I, I was there from probably around 4 o'clock on the Saturday till around 10pm on the Saturday. Um, and each time I saw him going around, he looked strong, strong running. Um, and obviously, with the rain that was coming in on the Sunday morning as well, it's not put anyone off. Just looking at the times, it's an impressive, impressive stuff. And mentally, looking at the hill um, halfway around the Beaver Equinox, you, you go up the hill, it's probably 120, 130 metres elevation, and then you immediately come down and then back up. So mentally draining doing 15 laps and seeing that hill 15 times i struggled with one lap in all honesty it's an amazing feat and on that note um we'll, we'll let you tell us about the robin Hood marathon next week thanks dave indeed lovely thank you thank mate. you so much cheers bye bye 150k crack i um, go back to my comment about gary bagley how the yeah. hell do you enjoy that I have no idea. Um, D, I've got written down, um, we expect, or Rob expects, or Rob has, has told us it's going to happen, so it will happen, Australia and Wales. Who are Australia and Wales up against in Group D then, Rob? Our friends, the Fijians and the Uruguayans, and Georgia. Um, so today's defeat of Fiji by Uruguay, everyone, including myself, was hoping that Fiji would be much stronger opponents in that group. But then, with them faltering against Uruguay, they've lost ground on being the second best team yeah, in that I think pool. That's almost probably so, giving it to Wales, aren't it? Yes. So Australia and Wales, you could say, have breathed a sigh of relief today. But Australia Wales play on Sunday. It's one of the main games over the weekend, uh, and, and the winners of that you would expect to be the winners of the pool. I'm back in Australia to beat Wales on Sunday. So I'm working out that Australia will be in the quarterfinal against France and England will play Wales in a quarterfinal of quite spectacular um, mm, intensity. Would so, be the word. so there's seven big rugby playing nations and Scotland in your last eight. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't want to get into the Scotland debate. <laughs> But we just told us if we have a bit of time, we just told us Tony before about you know the, again we were talking about off the air with two old journalists here talking about how you cover teams and w- when they're on a losing losing run it's hard enough when you you don't see them during the day. But as Tony was asking, you know if you see them during the day and you sort of in, in the camp with them and you're travelling with them, then obviously like Scotland have taken quite a big pace in this weekend by Ireland, you know that group of players will be using sort of the touring press because everyone's giving them um, stick at home and there was a great headline on Monday morning in one of the Scottish papers uh, after the Scottish defeat by Ireland was hang your head in shame was the, was, was the head headline so um, <laughs> the problem is you know, so, so Scotland um, will regroup the wagon yeah but 
England also took a lot of stick for the for their performance. I think the, England always does. It's, it's a it's a bigger media. Um, it's probably a more neutral media in some ways. It's a bit like. Um, Look at all the criticism of Man United at the moment. It's the it's the biggest after the All Blacks. England and the All Blacks are, are the two biggest rugby sides in the world. They, uh, England certainly has more media following them. The, the media reporting is, is much more harsh than perhaps uh, other countries who tend to have perhaps more um, you know, fans. You know, people with um, fans with fans with uh, typewriters they used to be called in the old days. So Eng England. Eng England, the All Blacks have to play brilliantly to get a good press. I thought England played okay for, for a first game in the World Cup. Um, their, their result, it was no better or no worse than Woodward's 2003 mob. They started quite slowly in their um, in their pool games, although they had to beat South Africa very early on in, in England's big games come uh, the last two games of the pool when they play Argentina and France, but they've got another good warm-up game tomorrow against the United States. England should win. You know, they never lost to the, the United States. Um, you'd expect England to win by 30 points tomorrow. Fans with typewriters is what Rob suggests I am at flow serve. <laughs> I, I didn't. I'm, I'm making notes full while I didn't say that. I didn't say that at all. That's about right. Um, I mean, said all, all that, there was a degree of poor handling from England, which you wouldn't... Well, to be honest, I wouldn't have expected to see some bit at Callum Road. Look, my, my, is it, is it, my pint's half full on this one. Is it? <laughs> in, in cricket, you cross the other side of the world and you play with a completely different cricket ball. When FIFA decide to have a World Cup, mm. they sort of reinvent the ball to be half the weight, half, and it does all completely different things. So, the question I'm getting at, yep. is it the same make, the same weight the same oh, yes. density as what they'll play I don't, I don't think I don't think we have a Dukes and Reader is it Dukes and Reader balls in cricket mm. you know which with different seams you know it's, I think it's the I think it's an Adidas ball uh, but I think the, the playing conditions in Japan in some stadiums you've got a very high degree of humidity certainly tomorrow um, you know they're, they're talking about you know been a very humid day so the ball perhaps sweats so you, you may and also the, the, the grass is uh, I'm going to call it you know dew um, so the, it, it is, they say um, one of the theories before the tournament began was that the, the, the ball would be, would be more slippy you'd expect um, perhaps more drop passes in some games depending where, where they were playing in which stadium thus you'd expect the better kicking team to, to um, perhaps use uh, more of that tactic to dominate games so I'm sure I read somewhere where they was sort of bathing the the rugby ball in soap or bathing I think that was our friends of Scotland wasn't it and it's not been proven <laughs> by their result you know if you if you look at the Scot let's finish Scotland now you know the Scottish performance was one of the most lamentable ever uh, Ireland just you know Ireland came out into, Ireland I think Ireland if you if you're going to go uh, for a team who might spring a surprise if they do um the way if you expect them to qualify out of the group, you expect them to play South Africa in the quarter final. You know, they they perhaps they're the team who might um, create a surprise or two because they've got the thing if they keep Sexton and uh, Connor Murray fit at half back and their pack, then they may ha they may have something that they've already beaten the All Blacks in the last two years. Um, Ireland might be sort of the 
um, for want of a better word, horse racing parlance, you know, the dark horse. They, they are considered to be the number one in the world at the minute, aren't they? On these crazy world rankings that mm. I don't understand, yeah. Mm. I was just thinking, on, only the Scots would have a jar of baby or a bottle of baby oil and put it on a rugby ball. But anyway, <laughs> that's, for after, that's for our nine o'clock show. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, didn't, I didn't fully understand the story. So. No, we're, 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 no, we're back at nine o'clock with that one. Our, our nine uh, o'clock show is always the better <laughs> Yes. Um, <laughs> nothing less than winning the tournament will do for New Zealand. It's as simple as that, yes. isn't it? That, that, that is their one and only yes. goal. Realistically, England... Australia, Wales, Ireland are the ones that. Well, could. one of the, one of those have, has, to win the World Cup are going to have to beat the All Blacks. Yes, and on the form, you know, if you watch the All Blacks Saturday, the way they beat South Africa, the way they scored a couple of their tries, you, I can't see it. I think I would, I would think the All Blacks, uh, if they play to their form, um, are worthy favourites, and you certainly. Um, they will be in the final. But, of course, going back in history, uh, although the All Blacks are going for a third World Cup in, in a row, they've had tremendous upsets. You know, the, the, uh, you know, where do you start? You know, 2003 in Cardiff against uh, France. No, 2007 uh, in Cardiff against France was one upset. Four years earlier in, in Australia, they lost to Australia in the semi-final. So um, they are prone to it, and the further down the tournament with the team they have which is not as experienced as the previous All Blacks teams that have won who knows but you'd expect the All Blacks to go to the final where's the Rob Warner and 50 pence going then on on, on the favourite the All Blacks (laughs) (laughs) but um, I'd love to I'd love to see England win it um just because I'm an Englishman, you know, full stop. I, if I put my sort of neutrals hat on, and yet you look at the form and the way England have played, we're not winning the big game, and that's what this this England squad have got to do. They've got to win the big game, and they haven't done that the last two years. So, Woodward's mob. You go back to Woodward's mob of 2003. They went into the tournament as favourites you know they'd beaten New Zealand away they'd beaten Australia away they'd beaten everybody and they walked into that tournament you know we are favourites we are, we are going to win it and, and, and it was sort of a crusade and you don't get that impression with Jones's uh, uh, squad were you there in 2003? I went to uh, Australia yeah, and I spent uh, five weeks there working uh, for the Telegraph, working, working. working for the Telegraph, working. I, I, there's, cut, there's a cuttings book to show that I filed every day and uh, for for uh, at least five weeks. Uh, so there you are. Um, but we had a fantastic time, and I must admit, as part of my career, then I, I was a very fortunate reporter. Talk us through the party afterwards. I um, finished in. Um, or was that for the nine o'clock show? No, 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 no. I, I, I tell you quite straight. I was. I finished. I worked up until the quarterfinals. Scott, uh, Scott, I was covering Scotland. Um, Scotland lost on the Sunday. I can't remember who they lost to. I think it was the All Blacks in, in Brisbane in the quarterfinal. They lost. It was McGeekin's last throw as a Scottish coach. Uh, and I flew home on the Monday. And I was back working for the Telegraph on the Saturday. So you, do you, you watch the... Uh, I didn't stay for the final, no. You, you, you watch no. it on television like the rest of us? I watch it in the New Rugby Club, yeah. yeah. And the next day, I was due some uh, uh, a break. I got a, I went down to my mum's in Hampshire and I was called at two, in, two, in the, 2 o'clock in the afternoon by the news editor. I said, the sports editor requires you to be in, New, in Newcastle tomorrow to interview Johnny Wilkinson's mum. <laughs> <laughs> Great, from Hampshire. Wonderful. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> there you go. 
That was the life of a reporter, but hey. I was I, just thinking, you know, no. the life of a professional journalist. You go from, we would need you to go to Australia to cover the <laughs> Rugby World Cup, and you're up there 10 out of 10, aren't you? And then after the next breath, you're covering Scotland. You know, I mean, how can you go from there to there in one sentence? It's a cruel world. It is a cruel world, isn't it? Um, Australia's going to be without Reese Hodge, who's been banned for three games after his dangerous tackle against um, Fiji. Fiji. Independent mm. disciplinary committee in Tokyo. A judge is no arms challenged. Um, did warrant a red card. Well, if that's the one I saw, he didn't get a card at all, did he? No, it was he was cited, and, and they had an awful long conversation about mm. it. Yes. So the referee, the uh, match officials on the day decided that it wasn't. Uh, foul play uh, didn't award a yellow or red card I think they went back for a scrum from memory uh, and it was only after the game when they they review the tape do the refereeing official bit like the football people now um, the independent they have an independent match commissioner is his grand title some, usually some old international and they go through the tapes and they each team can actually flag up um, an incident for review and this is what the well I don't think the Fijians needed to do it. It was flagged up by um, every media channel in the world. That you know, this, is, this was a, a very dangerous challenge. Supposedly, the media before the tournament had a briefing that you know, this type of challenge, where people slam into each other, no arms tackle. It's like an old-fashioned. Um, well, body smash, basically, you know. You're just throwing your body at your opponent to stop him. It's, you know, it's a reckless, reckless tackle. It's something they're trying to eradicate. And obviously, the, the referee, the, the, the team of the referees, that they've been criticised. Again, it's a, the World Cup is a marvellous event because you don't just get the matches, you get all these sideshows of, of, of stories. And, uh, again, I, 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 you know, in Australia, one of my tasks was, was to actually be our journo in the um, press centre in Sydney filing these crazy disciplinary stories. And we had all kinds of people troop through the uh, the, the, the Sydney building, you know, all kinds of um, disciplinary stories. And, it, and, of course, the papers are throwing so much coverage at it, you, you, write, you write much more about them. And uh, in the, the same is happening now in Japan that the, um, the IRB uh, issued a statement yesterday criticising the ref so far in the opening, un unheard of really for a, an inter <coughs> an, a governing organisation to criticise the match officials for the way they, for the way they were not policing th these, this type of reckless tackle which they're trying to take out of the game because of the, you know, the growing concern um, that you know, we are in a more PC... But didn't the match referee ask the TMO. Well, it did, yes, and, and and they came to that conclusion that between them, they talked it through. That, it, um, you know, five years ago, that type of challenge, you'd go, oh, what a challenge, what a brave chap that was, and it wouldn't be police. But obviously, they're cracking down on it, realizing that this is, you know, serious, it can cause serious injuries. So this is, and then to cap it, the uh, Australian coach Checker criticised the Fijians for um, flagging this incident up because uh, Checker said they, they hadn't been man enough afterwards because they went for a drink with the coaches um, and the Fijians didn't flag it up to say to Checker oh, we're actually going to, you know, on tomorrow morning we're going to ring the um, independent ref person to flag it up. So he said, you know, they hadn't, hadn't sort of fronted up to him. So there's, all, again, there's <laughs> side shows and obviously Checker's got a grudge against the Fijian coach. They're all, you know, Southern Hemisphere Antipodeans. So there's all this edge going on. <laughs> and it's, it's a four-year bun fight, isn't it? Because <laughs> uh, if you look at all the World Cup teams, usually after the World Cup, they all change coaches and there's a whole, um, you know, people have committed their working life to, to um, 
put these teams on, on, on the road. If they lose, they're out of a job. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's sport. And, it's, and it all comes to sort of um, uh, um, crescendo at the World Cup. Where, where's the for next tournament? In, in France. In France? Yes. Okay. Yeah. You can go on a day return to watch Scotland then, Tony. Yeah. So, you know, again, they, they're saying they expect over 400,000 overseas visitors for this, this tournament. Um, so they've, they've marketed it very well. Is it right to take it to Japan? I think, um, well, yes. Um, how, the, how, how the Japanese got it there is another question. You're going in, into rugby politics. Um, I'm certainly thinking like FIFA politics of Brian Envelope. Well, I, don't, I, don't, I, I, don't, I don't think it's... Um, Allegedly is always a good word. Well, hey... If, <laughs> The fr uh, Japan got Japan got this World Cup at the same time as England got the World Cup. So you, you're talking it's a ten year, ten years ago because they awarded two World Cups at the at the same uh, World Rugby session or voting session, uh, and then um, two years ago they awarded France the um, 2023 tournament, and that was a very murky uh, voting procedure because one or two of our England support Ireland was second and South Africa were also uh, punting for it and the French won and there's all kinds of uh, accusations that um, various Celtic co Celtic cousins didn't vote for their Celtic cousins in Ireland but England did vote for Ireland and but the, the I think if I get this right the Scots and the Welsh particularly the Welsh jumped ship at the last minute and voted for France which mm. country that have you, you you visited? Why would you vote for France? Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> we're, going, we're moving on, well, aren't we? anybody we're, vote we're, for France? We're moving sideways, boys, now, oh, no, 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 into no, rugby no, politics. No, 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 <laughs> just taking us away from that. Playing Scotland, we'll play for Bonnie Rig Rovers, or whatever it's called. What, what, what is the best country you visited for the crack? That's a very that's sort of a sort of leading question, isn't it? Yeah, but I just want to. <laughs> I was looking if to go to four World Cups as a reporter, and had a fantastic time. Um, uh, France was a fantastic 2007 with England. We went to uh, um, again. England got written off. They got absolutely walked in the first game in Paris by South Africa. Again, you know, we wrote all kinds of stuff that weekend. <laughs> uh, you know. <laughs> It was like it was like an open house on them. Um, it, then they had the meeting in the resort where they went to uh, on the near on the French coast, and supposedly the players and you know, Delalio and Co led the sort of not a players' revolt, but they sort of moved. They had a more bigger input into the coaching. Uh, Brian um, Ashton was sort of slightly shunted. He was the head coach at that stage, so the players supposedly took over and, and had more of an input. Um, and there was a whole fallout from that and then England every game because they'd lost the first game by so much I think they lost 36, 36 nil from memory um, they had to win every game um, and they played um, Tonga, Samoa and one other United, the first game was the United States then they lost to South Africa and then they beat Tonga and Samoa in sort of knockout games they'd lost a, again Tonga and Samoa like they are this tournament full of European professionals can have the ability to, to win one big game and I don't think they've got their squad in depth to win more than one big game but England survived, got through Tonga and Samoa and then we okay, I was going to say we uh, uh, we all went down to Marseille 
to play the Aussies. And again, the Australians were flying high at that stage. They were favourites to win the quarter-final and to bring a Newark slant into it. John Wells was the forwards coach of that England, England team. And... Uh, it was a Saturday in Marseille, a glorious October day, I remember, and England won, and the uh, England pack flattened the, the Wallabies. Uh, and I remember I did a column that day, uh, a ghosted column for Tim Horan, who was the Aussie centre, and I had to ring him two minutes after the, the, the deal was, ring him two minutes after the final whistle, because he had other duty, I think it, within a quarter of an hour of the, the match finishing, he had to be in the hospitality unit. So I had, we had about ten minutes, and I, I remember his opening line, you know, it was he, you know, he couldn't believe it uh, and he gave me sort of five minutes and he said make the best of that mate I, and, I, <laughs> I, and I don't want to see it <laughs> so hey and it was you know uh, that's how we work with these you know, I don't know how much money he got but we had, <laughs> we had ten minutes on the phone after the game on a mobile phone at the back of the stadium and um, I've been rushing around so I didn't make any notes because I, <laughs> I didn't have time and I was sort of standing up and I was going down an escalator to uh, while, he, while he was sort of firing these you know I, I've never seen anything like it mate I, I had punted you know I don't have much, how much I, think, I don't think it was a big punter but it obviously backed Australia to win the tournament and he was leading a group of Aussie fans on a hospitality t- cruise thinking they were going to end in the final and most of his customers or, or um, <laughs> guests had only arrived the previous day said <laughs> what are we going to do for three weeks now <laughs> So it's all, anyway, it's all the fun of the fair. No doubt those Australians had a great time in France. And, a, and after the initial shock of losing to England, you know, they had a, a merry time. So, uh, but yeah. <laughs> so France, I had a, France was a, uh, a great trip. Uh, again, we worked very hard um, and I loved it. And, and we had a great fun. And um, uh, I got a letter of commendation from the sports editor when we got back. Did you? Mm, and, a, and a year later, it all ended. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and now we go to Colville with, <laughs> for Radio Newark. I tell you, our, time, our, our times have changed. Um, remarkably enough times going to beat us. Um, I, pro- I did promise you um, a discussion tonight about the future of grassroots rugby. Um, no time. <coughs> um, the, the remaining eight minutes is not long enough for a conversation no, like that. Thankfully. So I am thankfully. Going, I am thankfully. Going, I thankfully. am going, going, going to get, um, I am going to pursue getting Rob and Mr. Duddles back in the studio. And um, we'll make something of this because we'll do one on football as well. Because <clears throat> while you've been listening and while I've been intrigued um, to Rob Wardman's stories, this is the same Rob Wardman that's been telling this radio station for the last four years. I've got no stories. Nobody's interested in what I've got to say. I've had a dull life. Come on! <laughs> and he's still talking, and it's still fantastic <coughs> listening. I'm telling you, we are going to have the Rob Wardman show. It's going to happen. <laughs> One way or another. It, it, trust me, it is going to happen. We wear people down eventually. Ten minutes with Tony normally does that. Um, <laughs> as I said, we will have a discussion on the future of grassroots rugby because that is one of the serious discussions i know i've got dave coming back in um to talk about rugby in the school so we'll probably combine the two and do something about that um what we can say though rob is that the gap between english premiership rugby and everything else is getting wider and wider by the season um my well, especially young Finlay, who is, uh, although it might be, might be Sale Sharks now, he's moving to Stoke. Um, 
he, he's still keeps his eye on Newcastle Falcons. Um, and he said, but they haven't got any stands at Jersey. I've seen the pictures. <laughs> um, Newcastle Falcons are in for one heck of a shock this season, aren't they? Well, they've done it before, obviously. Even, um, was it four or five years ago, they, they, they had relegation and, and um, they came back up. So they have done the travels around a lot of the championship clubs. They, they know the um, the grounds pretty well. Um, Are you surprised they've kept the... Or the management team have decided to stay there? Not they've kept them. They've decided to stay there and, and do this and not go looking for something um, I, I, don't, I don't know the um, ins and outs of that. Uh, obviously, we, we, again, we, we mentioned John Wells earlier. He, he's now coaching at Newcastle and uh, you know, be staying there. Um, perhaps they're under contracts and you know, um, it's a good part of the world to live. So I, I don't know. I don't know the ins and outs. Um, obviously, they get the... Um, as full members of the Premiership, they get a parachute payment, a little bit like the football clubs. So they have that money, so they have a budget way beyond most of the clubs in in the division um so they start you know very strong favorites um to come straight back up it, it is it, again this is again we're getting into more politics of yes. rugby, and again as far as i know um they're keeping the format There's, there was moves to in, um make the premiership bigger from 12 to 13 or 14 clubs that's not gone through there's um, and there's a status quo but it's an ongoing debate and no doubt that debate will re-emerge probably after the World Cup um, obviously the top clubs are, are pressing for a closed shop some of the top clubs are uh, there'd be no automatic promotion from the championship they think if they went to 14 that would include all the big moneyed clubs so mm. you, they would take you take back in Newcastle as a 13th and then there would be one spot for um, another club to f who, who may be on the way up um, as you know, good old Cornish Paris are still trying to build their stadium at Truro. I was at a, you, know, you talk about. I was on Friday night. I went to watch Nottingham and uh, Yorkshire Carnegie, who in the old days, you know, were Leeds, and before that, an amalgamation of Headingley and Roundhay. Well, Nottingham won eighty-three nil on Friday night in a in a Championship League Cup game, and um, Yorkshire Carnegie um, have just recruited a part-time squad because they went bust in the summer, and they they were able. Not, able under machinations of the, around the RFU regulations to take out a company voluntary arrangement which basically shunted one full-time professional squad into the uh, into the sidings and they've continued uh, and they're, they're battling along with a part-time squad so just to make sure everybody heard what Rob said Nottingham 83 leads nil that's right yes yeah 83 nil so it just shows you know how the bottom can how the bottom can drop out of of clubs very quickly. Obviously, this has been serious, serious. Um, well, maladministration at, at, at Leeds, at Yorkshire Carnegie, it's an embarrassment. For serious maladministration well, at Leeds, make a note of that one. They, these pe they, this club is run by highly professional sports people. They're a sister club to the Leeds Rhinos. Um, it's most fact they've built a most fantastic complex at Headingley with the cricket and, and the rugby pitch. And I, I, I used to, again... Harking back to my own uh, rugby writing career, I used to go a lot, a lot of sun Sundays to watch uh, Leeds play, uh, and I feel very, very disappointed and sad for some of the people involved that it's happened to a, a you know, what they they promoted this club on on being the Leeds Premiership club, and it's all it's all falling, you know, absolutely into um, 
Into yeah, the soft stuff. Leagues are used to having teams in the second tier. <laughs> um, it's, a, it's a tough show, this, isn't it? <laughs> it's a tough um, show. You've, got less, than, you've got less than two minutes, Rob. We've had all the fun of the fear of the Southwell match. Um, we've had a feast of running rugby in what turned out to be a one-sided cup match. Um, the real... It's the, it's the real this weekend. It's the real nuts and bolts on Saturday. Yes, I think we'll know where we where we're going with this squad. Um, again, as I was saying on the Monday night, you never quite know who's going to turn up. So, uh, I think I was doing a little bit of stats yesterday. Uh, I think we're well over thirty players we've so far fielded in in the first team. So we'll see who who turns up. But if we get a a team wanting to play good rugby on Saturday, we'll do very well. Um, it, I know they've only played one one league match, but it is first against second. Um, and I rather hope that's where we end up at the end of next, at the end of this this season. Because uh, I think as long as the ground stay relatively hard, and the new youngsters can wave as they go past the opposition. Right. Well, let's, we've got to make hay uh, while the grounds are hard and pr- you know. Then obviously, traditionally, we struggled, you know, January February. I have to predict we'll finish top six, so, you know. That's, that's really sticking the boat out, isn't it? <laughs> it really is going for it. That's about as good as predicting New Zealand's going to win the Rugby World Cup. How, how many in the league? Six? <laughs> You've had that joke already, Tony. You've had that joke already. You can't use the same joke twice. No, oh, come can't. on, I've got a career on that one. You, you can use the same story half a dozen times, but... <laughs> right, OK, Rob, thank you so much for coming in. Great fun as ever, and we have proved, if nothing else tonight, that New Zealand's going to win the World Cup, and you have stories by the bucket list <laughs> to <laughs> tell us and um, we're going to come back for an evening of, of fun with your stories and we're going to come back for a serious right. evening with the future okay, of grassroots you, rugby we'll, we'll discuss it yes <laughs> I'll get the dates over to you um, your people can meet our tomorrow people. night it's um, Pitchside Dave it's our <laughs> round up of all the local football and give you the breaking news that Newark Town are 1-0 up at Retford United a Lewis Chambers penalty after two minutes um there you go that's it big thanks to Rob big thanks to Tony and to Dave Farger of course Sir Douglas Hall the man himself coming up next on FM Andy Channing we'll see you through the night on DAB bye bye we-